Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From the kitchen of my haunted mansion here in Sultry Savannah, this is Obscure Season 3, Wuthering Heights. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief and Georgianologist, Michael Ian Black, Southern Gentleman Esquire. I have relocated to the kitchen for today's episode because there is some power washing happening within earshot of the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library. And so rather than have you endure a low uh, compressor sound, I thought I should relocate myself. Now, perhaps you can even, perhaps you can still hear the low compressor sound, the hum of a, a portable generator, even over my dulcet tones. But hopefully considerably less than you would have. Otherwise, we're power washing, power washing the porch and the front steps as a first step to getting them repainted after all of the construction and renovation uh, of the past year when we had workmen, you know, uh, tromping around, scuffing things up, moving heavy equipment to and fro, and uh, generally making the porch and front steps a tad unsightly. And so we are power washing, power washing, power washing today. Last night, as we do most nights, well, no, I shouldn't say most nights, but we do this all the time. And I suspect many of you do too, uh, because I hear about it from Various sources, you know, I have various sources. We're discussing where, where we're going to move. We just got here, you know, and we like it. But even when we moved here, we we're like, ah, oh, we're not going to stay here. 
don't know, five years, 10 years, whatever it is. We're already thinking about where we're going to go next. I, there, like no place seems appealing, at least no place in the, in the United States of America. That's not even a political statement, although politics plays some role in it. But it's like, I don't, like, I don't even know where, where, where I want to go. Like, the pro, like Savannah's, I like, Savannah's lovely. I just don't know that it'll ever feel like home. You know, being in the South, you know, it's a little weird. It's not weird. It's just, you know, it just doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't feel like home. And I don't, maybe it never will. Maybe, maybe no place will ever feel like home again after the wilds of Connecticut. I don't know. But, you know, the summers are too hot. And, uh, I don't know, we just idly talk about where we're going to go. Like, I don't, I'm not missing... Then the New England winter, it's not about that. And I do like to have seasons. And global warming definitely is playing some role in our thought process. I just don't know. No place sounds appealing to me exactly. I don't know. Do I just have a wandering spirit? I don't know. Just nothing, I don't know, nothing seems right. We're looking in, you know, Martha's from Minnesota. We are looking in Minnesota. I want to go to Minnesota. You know, I'm saying I don't miss the New England winters, but, you know, winter winters are dying anyway. I've got my steaming hot cup of tea here. Oh, boy. Mm-mm-mm. Delicious. And, like, what, what, what am I going to do? Move out west? Am I going to move to, like, Colorado? Probably not. Do I just stay here forever? I don't know. That doesn't seem right either. I don't know. If you've got any suggestions about where to move, where to live... Let me hear him. I mean, we're probably not going anywhere for a few years, but who knows? Anyway, Wuthering Heights, right? Wuthering fucking Heights. So, you know, the, the uh, you know, Linton Heathcliff has been shunted over to Wuthering Heights. And his dad has already made it clear that he's not going to get any love from him, but he is going to get uh, a suitable education and he will be made presentable so that uh, he can someday take over Thrushcross Grange and Wuthering Heights, and then all of Heathcliff's revenge fantasies will somehow what have come to fruition. Hard to say. Like he, Heathcliff's motivations at this point seem a little bit I don't know. Suspect isn't the right word, but ill-designed. I mean, if his entire reason for being is just to like be shitty to people who used to own these couple of houses. I mean, big deal, big deal. And we're supposed to believe that this is a guy who is capable of great love, of outsized affection for another human being. It just doesn't, it doesn't seem possible. Heathcliff, I know, is a classic literary character, but does he work ultimately? That's a good question. Like, just in the in 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 the way we understand a character working now, does he work? Because he's got I don't mean like a, occupationally. I mean you know well you know what I mean. Does he work as a character? Because he's he's kind of got two thrusts. There's a revenge thrust. There's a love thrust, and neither of them quite makes sense to me. Well, let's see if today's episode brings any clarity to the character of Heathcliff. That is the central question, I think, around Wuthering Heights, is the question of Heathcliff, the enigmatic, and yet somehow uh, 
he he's enigmatic and yet he overexplains himself. Like he just overexplained to Ellen Dean his raison d'être with uh, with his kid. I'll be very kind to him. You needn't fear. He's mine, and I want the triumph of seeing my descendant fairly lord of the their estates. My child hiring their children to till their father's lands for wages. That is the sole consideration which can make me endure the whelp. I despise him for himself and hate him for the memories he revives. But that consideration is sufficient. He's as safe with me and shall be tended as carefully as your master tends his own. So, okay, okay, I guess... But the, the, the ambitious Heathcliff, and I think we have to categorize him as ambitious because his, uh, what animates him are his, are, are his ambitions. He was somehow able to go out into the world, secure some kind of fortune, come back here, and put his ambitions in play, right? To take over Wuthering Heights and now to take over Thrushcross Grange. He is ambitious, and yet all of his ambitions seem rather miserly, don't they? For all of the uh, uh, fire that burns within him, his ultimate goal is to... The triumph of seeing my descendant fairly lord of their estates. I mean, big deal. Big deal. You could have done so much more. And it doesn't quite line up to me with his love for Catherine. Perhaps you could say the love for Catherine motivates the ambition here, but not really. Like, it doesn't quite line up. Like, I'm gonna, here's my theory. I'm just going to put it out there. Ultimately, Heathcliff doesn't work as a literary character. Chapter 21, Wuthering Heights. We had sad work with little Kathy that day. She rose in high glee, eager to join her cousin, and such passionate tears and lamentations followed the news of his departure that Edgar himself was obliged to soothe her by affirming he should come back soon. He added, however, if I can get him, and there were no hopes of that. Uh, So even Edgar himself, her father, has to engage with poor Kathy. I mean... Say what you want about the early Americans. They're uh, earlier, I guess. Their idea of child rearing was superior to our own, where the father just doesn't get involved. Much better. That's a much better way of parenting than the way we do it, where moms and dads are attending, you know, and this is assuming that they're too poor to hire a governess, which is an embarrassing thought, but let's assume that the governess you know, is incapacitated for some reason. Moms and dads have to participate? Come on. Feels extraneous and honestly emasculating. This promise poorly pacified her, but time was more potent. And though still at intervals, she inquired of her father when Linton would return. Before she did see him again, his features had waxed so dim in her memory that she did not recognize him. When I chanced to encounter the housekeeper of Wuthering Heights in paying business visits to Gimmerton, I used to ask how the young master got on, for he lived almost as secluded as Catherine herself, and was never to be seen. I could gather from her that he continued in weak health, 
and was a tiresome inmate. She said Mr. Heathcliff seemed to dislike him even longer and worse, though he took some trouble to conceal it. He had an antipathy to the sound of his voice, and could not do at all with his sitting in the same room with him many minutes together. There seldom passed much talk between them. Linton learnt his lessons and spent his evenings in a small apartment they called the parlour, or else lay in bed all day, for he was constantly getting coughs and colds and aches and pains of some sort. And I never knew such a faint-hearted creature, and I never knew such a faint-hearted creature, said, uh, added the woman, nor one so careful of his, uh, his own, his own, H-I-S-S-E-L-N, so careful of his own, I gotta crank up the research machine, is that a typo? Maybe it's supposed to be his self, nor one so careful of his self, but I'm just gonna, just to be sure, I'm gonna crank up the old research machine and make sure that that, ah yes, okay, so uh, you write in his own, and immediately what comes up is his own Wuthering Heights. Let's see. Ah, himself. What his own means. Translated, his self. Used by a subordinate of his master. Hmm. Scottish, apparently. His own. All right. So it was no, no typo there. That is, in fact, what it means. So, ah, nor one so careful of his own. He will go on if I leave the window open a bit late in the evening. Oh, it's killing, a breath of night air. And he must have a fire in the middle of summer. And Joseph's baka pipe is poison. Baka, I guess that's a, that's a, like a short, uh, tobacco, that's what that means. And he must always have sweets and dainties and always milk, milk forever, heeding not how the rest of us are pinched in winter. And there he'll sit, wrapped in his furred cloak in his chair by the fire, and some toast and water or other slop on the hob to sip at. And if Hareton, for pity, comes to amuse him, Hareton is not bad-natured, though he's rough, they're sure to part, one swearing and the other crying. I believe the master would relish Earnshaw's thrashing him to a mummy. So wait, mummy has a little... Footnote. Oh, well, mummy in, uh, you know, in modern usage just means a mummy, you know, like a like an Egyptian mummy or a mommy, if, if this were a British novel, which of course it is not. But here, it means to a pulp. Hmm. If he were not his son, and I'm certain he would be fit to turn him out of doors if he knew half the nursing he gives his own. But then... He won't go into danger of temptation. He never enters the parlor. And should Linton show those ways in the house where he is, he sends him upstairs directly. So, you know, th- you know, as predicted, the child is failing to thrive at Wuthering Heights, much the way a plant will fail to thrive if not given enough sunlight and water. And he can drink all the milk he wants. He is not going to blossom in that atmosphere. Well, I, I, you know, I have to take a break because I have to sniffle, I have to sneeze, I have to drink some tea. So I'm going to take a break. Back in a moment here on Obscure. 
CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back on Obscure, having a fine time talking about poor Linton and poor Heathcliff and all the poor subjects of Wuthering Heights. It is just a terrible, terrible place to be. Even the uh, even the gossipy servant lass there talking to Mrs. Dean on one of her business visits to Gimmerton. You know, she's a, she's a gossip and a scold and she's disapproving. And even, even she has taken on some of the characteristics of her master there at Wuthering Heights. It's just, you know, they did this Munsters reboot about a family of monsters living in a haunted mansion, and they uh, they should just make it with the Heathcliff family. wouldn't be as funny, certainly, but it would be more apt. Monsters living in houses together. Uh, reminds me of, what's that Sam Shepard play? Buried Child. Buried Child has a little bit of Wuthering Heights in it as well. Just miserable, miserable people living together with death and secrets and how all of it corrodes the soul and spirit. Hard to imagine a soul more corroded than that of Heathcliff. Back to the story. I divined from this account that utter lack of sympathy had rendered young Heathcliff selfish and disagreeable, if he were not so originally, and my interest in him consequently decayed, though still I was moved with a sense of grief at his lot and a wish that he had been left with us. Mr. Edgar encouraged me to gain information. He thought a great deal about him, I fancy, and would have run some risk to see him, and he told me once to ask the housekeeper whether he ever came into the village. She said he'd only been twice, on horseback, accompanying his father, and both times he pretended to be quite knocked up for three or four days afterwards. That housekeeper left, if I recollect rightly, two years after he came, and another woman, whom I did not know, was her successor. She lives there still. 
uh, well, I guess the housekeeper, smartly, to save her own sanity and and uh, what was left of her chewed away soul departed from Wuthering Heights. Just an interesting aside, Linton pretended to be quite knocked up for three or four days afterwards. So who's to say he's not feigning all of his illness and weak constitution? I suspect not because, I don't know, suspect not, that's all. Time wore on at the Grange in its former pleasant way till Miss Cathy reached 16. On the anniversary of her birth, we never manifested any signs of rejoicing because it was also the anniversary of my late mistress's death. Her father invariably spent that day alone in the library and walked at dusk as far as Gimmerton Kirkyard, where he would frequently prolong his stay beyond midnight. Therefore, Catherine was thrown on her own resources for amusement. This 20th of March was a beautiful spring day, and when her father had retired, my young lady came down dressed for going out and said she had asked to have a ramble on the edge of the moors. Let's just ramble in the moors. With me. And Mr. Linton had given her leave if we went only a short distance and were back within the hour. So make haste, Ellen, she cried. I know where I wish to go, where a colony of more game are settled. I want to see whether they have made their nests yet. Well, that must be a good distance up, I answered. They don't breed on the edge of the moor. No, it's not, she said. I've gone very near with Papa. Well, who are they going to run into there? I think we can we can just about guess, can we? Right there on her 16th birthday. <sighs> Seems sort of shitty, you know? It's her birthday. They should celebrate it regardless, you know? They should they should put the living ahead of the dead. It's just it's just that simple. Turn a day of mourning into a day of celebration. You've got Miss Kathy turning sweet 16 and uh, you're not going to do anything for it. Come on now. Come on, Shakespeare. I put on my bonnet and sallied out, thinking nothing more of the matter. She bounded before me and returned to my side and was off again like a young greyhound. And at first, I found plenty of entertainment in listening to the larks singing far and near and enjoying the sweet warm sunshine and watching her, my pet and my delight, with her golden ringlets flying loose behind and her bright cheek as soft and pure in its bloom as a wild rose, and her eyes radiant with cloudless pleasure. She was a happy creature and an angel in those days. It's a pity she could not be content. Well, we've got some foreshadowing there, don't we? It's a pity. A pity, she says, that she could not be content. So, so say I... About us all, it is, is it not a pity that we cannot be content? Just a great description of youth there, isn't it? My pet and my delight. Her golden ringlets, her bright cheek as soft and pure in its bloom as a wild rose. Her eyes radiant with cloudless pleasure. Wonderful. Wonderful, I say. Tis a pity she could not be content. Well, said I, where are your more game, Miss Cathy? We should be at them. The Grange Park fence is a great way off now. 
Oh, a little further. Only a little further, Ellen, was her answer continually. Climb to that hillock, past that bank, and by the time you reach the other side, I shall have raised the birds. But there were so many hillocks and banks to climb and pass that at length I began to be weary and told her we must halt and retrace our steps. I shouted to her as she, is, as she had outstripped me a long way. She either did not hear or did not regard, for she still sprang on, and I was compelled to follow. Finally, she dived into a hollow, and before I came in sight of her again, she was two miles nearer Wuthering Heights than her own home, and I beheld a couple of persons arrest her, one of whom I felt convinced was Mr. Heathcliff himself. Well, 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 as, uh, as predicted, Miss Kathy has gone on rambling through those moors a little, a little bit too far, has she not? And now she is two miles closer to Wuthering Heights than she is to her own home. She has reached the halfway mark there between the two homes. And uh, who does she come across but inhabitants of that fractured abode? And we have yet to determine who those two inhabitants are, I would guess. Probably... Uh, Hareton and Linton. Let us see. Kathy had been caught in the fact of plundering, or at least hunting out the nests of the grouse. The heights were Heathcliff's land, and he was reproving the poacher. I've neither taken any nor found any, she said, as I toiled to them. Oh, it is, it is Heathcliff. As I toiled to them, expanding her hands in corroboration of the statement. I didn't mean to take them, but Papa told me there were quantities up here and I wished to see the eggs. Heathcliff glanced at me with an ill-meaning smile, expressing his acquaintance with the party and consequently his malevolence towards it, and demanded who Papa was. Mr. Linton of Thrushcross Grange, she replied. I thought you did not know me, or you wouldn't have spoken in that way. You suppose Papa is highly esteemed and respected then? He said sarcastically. And what are you? inquired Catherine, gazing curiously on the speaker. That man I've seen before, is he your son? She pointed to Hareton, the other individual, who'd gained nothing but increased bulk and strength by the addition of two years to his age. He seemed as awkward and rough as ever. Miss Cathy, I interrupted. It will be three hours instead of one that we were out presently. We really must go back. No, that man is not my son, answered Heathcliff, pushing me aside. But I have one, and you have seen him before too. And though your nurse is in a hurry, I think both you and she would be the better for a little rest. Will you just turn this nab of Heath and walk into my house? You'll get home earlier for the ease, and you shall receive a kind welcome. Well, we know there's no such thing in Heathcliff's world as a kind welcome. He's already machinating something evil, is he not? Gnashing his teeth, waiting to get them into his maw and chew them up, and, uh, and return them slightly worse than he found them. I whispered Catherine that she mustn't, on any account, accede to the proposal. It was entirely out of the question. Why, she asked aloud, I'm tired of running and the ground is dewy. I can't sit here. Let us go, Ellen. Besides, he says I have seen his son. He's mistaken, I think. 
But I guess where he lives. At the farmhouse I visited in coming from Penniston Crags, don't you? I do. Come, Nellie, hold your tongue. It will be a treat for her to look in on us. Hareton, get forwards with the lass. You shall walk with me, Nellie. No, she's not going to any such place, I cried, struggling to release my arm which he had seized. But she was almost at the doorstones already, scampering round the brow at full speed. Her appointed companion did not pretend to escort her. He shied off by the roadside and vanished. Mr. Heathcliff, it's very wrong, I continued. You know you mean no good, and there shall see Linton, and all will be told as soon as ever we return, and I shall have the blame. I want her to see Linton, he answered. He's looking better these few days. It's not often he's fit to be seen, and will soon persuade her to keep the visit secret. Where is the harm of it? The harm of it is that her father would hate me if he found I suffered her to enter your house, and I am convinced you have a bad design in encouraging her to do so, I replied. My design is as honest as possible. I'll inform you of its whole scope, he said. See, that this is, this is Heathcliff over-explaining himself again, and, uh, you know, all of his malignancy he just puts out there in full display. I just gotta, you know, sometimes you just gotta stretch. And that's what's happening here. That is exactly what's happening. I'll inform you of its whole scope, he said. That the two cousins may fall in love and get married. I'm acting generously to your master. His young chit has no expectations, and should she second my wishes, she'll be provided for at once as joint successor with Linton. If Linton died, I answered, and his life is quite uncertain, Catherine would be the heir. No, she would not, he said. There is no clause in the will to secure it so. His property would go to me, but to prevent disputes, I desire their union, and am resolved to bring it about. And I am resolved she shall never approach your house with me again, I returned, as we reached the gate where Miss Cathy waited our coming." I mean, he's just got it all planned out, doesn't he? He wants the two cousins to marry. Uh, now, this was all predictable, and I believe predicted that there should be some sort of love triangle between them. Uh, is it possible that Kathy may end up falling for the good-hearted but brutish Hareton Earnshaw? He the puppy hanger, or will her affections bend towards that of her wan and sickly cousin Linton? Now we're getting to the heart of the second half of the book. It's propulsive energy urging us forward towards its conclusion, which we shall achieve in, oh, about 100 pages or so. Uh, and so we leave it there with young Kathy right there on the, uh, what do you call it? What do you call it? When, they, when you're right on the, uh, it's the beginning of a house, you know, the, 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 oh, that's not the border of the house. It's the, it's the, uh, well, will you carry the, the bride over the, uh, oh God, you're probably just screaming at me. Carry the bride over the threshold. Right there on the threshold of her new life.
You know, there's the before and after, and this is about to be the after, because we know whatever happens inside that home in the next few pages, all of that will determine the fate of all of these characters. And so we'll leave it there and continue again next week on another precipitous episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and Robin Lynn. Our theme music is by Craig Wedron. We rely on you, the listeners, for support, so please go to patreon.com slash Black, and you will get early access to ad-free episodes and more content from me. That's patreon.com slash Black. See you next time.